I'm John Paul with ICOM. I'm here with Radios in Action and Brian Urban, and we're going to talk about technology in healthcare. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Hey, John Paul. It's, it's great to be here. So why don't you do me a favor, do our listeners a favor, tell us, tell us a, a little bit about yourself and what you're doing and, uh, and, and who you are. Yeah, again, this is a, a going to be a real fun conversation for me as well, John Paul, and it's it's an honor to be on your show with ICOM. So, my background is it's kind of interesting. Uh, most of my career, I've worked on the health plan side of the healthcare ecosystem, big organizations like Highmark Health, Cigna, uh, and then Walgreens and their specialty drug side as well, and some nonprofit consulting in between all of those as well. And what I do today, uh, I guess all my work's kind of led me to being the innovation director uh, for FinThrive. I also touch what we call our emerging markets. So that's life science, ambulatory, uh, and then also health plans as well, integrated delivery networks in that same sense. So it's a really exciting time to be a part of FinThrive, to be a part of, I'd say, the podcasting community and also the innovation community. And outside of what I do for FinThrive, uh, I'm also a, a supporting aide to uh, Dartmouth's uh, health policy clinical practice, their, uh, their, their uh, uh, public health institute that's a part of the Geisel School of Medicine. So I do some work with some uh, newer public health students. Uh, and then I'm also at the same time now going back for some more education. I know you thought I was kind of even crazy telling you this before, <laughs> but uh, uh, another another master's and um, uh, PhD uh, dual program starting at Brown in, uh, in, the, in the first part of 24. So I do a lot of things, research, and I have a love for, it's kind of odd to say, a love for socioeconomic data. It's a it's a whole new view of uh, what someone is challenged with in life, especially in a, in a healthcare setting. Your academic background alone and your credentials there are, are fascinating to me just because of your ability to learn new things and then turn them into uh, ways to help people. When oh, I when I when I heard about your your background and your uh, your abilities to consume knowledge and translate that into uh, techniques to gather more knowledge and then overlay data. I thought that was fantastic. Thank you. It doesn't come without great sacrifice. Uh, I will tell you that. Um, <laughs> balancing normal dad life. Uh, we have like a small little farm here and just getting sleep. It, it, it is a lot. I, it, it helps, though, because a lot of the work I feel I'm doing, it eventually touches families toward improving their quality of life, improving access. I'm on the way, you know, back end of it. But I, I, it's all it's all for something. I, it took me a while to find my sweet spot of things. I, I definitely am a late bloomer in a lot of ways. And uh, I think um, academically, I've just found my my intrigue and and passion so it, it took a while and maybe it took maybe 16 years to really find uh end to end what i love and I've, I've stumbled upon it i think uh when we were talking last you you talked about and you never use these terms which i also thought was very charming it was eloquent actually that when you talked about um pursuing data and and overlaying this data 
for for the purposes of uh, expediting healthcare uh, for those in need, uh, for the purposes of and I, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, decreasing the costs to the end user and for the provider, and then of course the quality of life situation. But those three things right there uh, are things that are are uh, impacting people globally, and they're going to continue to they're, they're, the costs. Uh, are astronomical as they are. So any support and help is fantastic. Uh, the need uh, to feel heard by any patient is is critical to a healthy recovery. And then, of course, uh, living a happy life or a, a less unhappy life in some situations. It, it, the fact that, that you have your fingers in those three things and do it so humbly is is impressive. You made my day with that. Uh, I, I, I try not to even uh, go as deep as that sometimes reflecting on my own work, but uh, thank you. Uh, I think the one thing I know we're going to get into is utilization, spend, different technologies being a part of uh, a person's journey in life, let alone healthcare. It, it's, uh, it's just so interesting now the technology is just it, – it's the keystone to a lot of things. It could be low-tech. High tech, it could be new data, it could be collaboration uh, involving new processes, procedures, new clinical workflows. It's this—it's incredible to start to actually tangibly be a part of something that's changing. May not be like a, a lightning bolt speed, but changing nonetheless. And it and it takes a build. So we're kind of in that build right now, at least in my little world. Right. T tell me. What do you think is the closest to being addressed? Quality of life for the patient, decreasing the costs, or uh, expediting services? That's a big question, John Paul. I will say all of those things you listed in three separate swim lanes are being addressed across the ecosystem at the same time. There are leaders. There are laggers. Uh, and, and I think some of those leaders need to have their stories elevated more. And it's great that we have mediums like your podcast and other podcasts to do that. So those laggers can get support and get brought up to speed. And, and uh, I, I think breaking it down more, the quality of life, access to care is really in the same sentence of more appropriatizing healthcare utilization or right size fitting healthcare utilization. And everyone cares about it in a different way. I think all the huge merger and ac acquisition activity across the healthcare landscape is speaking to there's more and more integrated delivery networks. There's more and more care coordination that's being prioritized. So with that, you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, health plans, payers, they want to reduce uh, as much cost and spend and, and avoid costs as much as possible. Of course, that's the business model that's been around forever. Healthcare, they want to do as many services as possible. Not necessarily true. They want to start doing the right services. They're starting to get reimbursed in terms of value-based care being more adopted across the market, paid for performance, but also HEDIS measures as well, coming from NCQA's recommendation into CMS's, you know, putting it into, into a regulation, into a part of a policy, and a, 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 a process that must be followed to show your quality of care. So it's it's starting to blend a little bit more now. Health plans have a healthcare side, some of the larger ones, or a very close affiliated partner that they need to rely on to ensure healthcare is done at the most appropriate 
level or appropriate services. It's not overboard. Uh, so I, I think you're starting to see that more, that everything is getting pulled together. And and, and finally, you know, I, I don't think it's across the board everyone's doing this, but quality of life and appropriateized uh, healthcare utilization is starting to come more fused together. Those leaders are some of those folks that are integrated delivery networks that are uh, having strong affiliated partners from a payer to a healthcare organization or centers. So those leaders are really starting to show in some of the other areas, the laggers that are maybe just right now a standalone, a small payer or a, a niche payer, uh, starting to bring them up to speed. So these things are actually fusing together from what I see and who I interact with in the marketplace. So a lot going on there. Uh, when I hear when I hear that there's a lot of players and and, and multiple swim lanes, of course, as you said, uh, is there is there a governing body that says we need to talk to each other, we need to prioritize, we need to advance together? Is it a race to the finish for each uh, three lanes? Is it is it something where people are looking at what other people are doing and trying to uh, compete? In the marketplace, or are they trying to work together and and uh, achieve a common goal? I I like to think of it as the latter, but not always so. Uh, there is collabor collaboration within a more of a coopetition type of perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I think what's really unique over the last maybe five to ten years with, with the, the first question you had, a lot of large private pairs are now. They're, they're not just payers. They don't have just underwriting and, uh, and coverage for healthcare type as, as their core business. They're like healthcare technologists. I mean, you think about Cigna, they now have consumed and wholly owned MD Live. That partnership started many moons ago, but now it's kind of a core function of people accessing care. They have them underneath. They also have a PBM, a pharmacy benefit manager. Underneath them, they have a mental health and wellness spinoff, Evernorth, they're a very huge sphere of healthcare, but it's beyond that. It's also financial services. It's also engagement. It's all access to other types of apps and wellness discounts that are retail and uh, expanded markets, marketplace in, in, in the U.S. Then they also have a huge, you know, a huge international footprint. I think the same with United, uh, uh, Evalence. Humana, they've just grown so large that they're these mammoths and they're healthcare technologists as well as more of their core function. I find like that's put um, a very big separation between them, Blue Cross Blue Shield entities, Medicare Advantage standalone plans. It's, it's a very different world. And I think it's a race to the highest amount of member satisfaction and engagement. And in terms of CMS, Center for Medicaid, Medicare Services, and NCQA, National Committee for Quality Assurance, they look at this as if you don't have these lives engaged, you are not going to do a good job at lining up the appropriate healthcare utilization, healthcare access, and also experience. People have a tremendous menu for choice now. It's becoming more of a consumer world, but not a very well-informed consumer world. I think that's the big difference between the healthcare sectors that break down in retail, life insurance, health insurance, uh, and then and then everything in between. So it's 
it's starting to be a race toward who you engage in the best way. And are they being satisfied? Is their experience good? Is it up to par? That's like one of the biggest differentiators. And you can't make that happen if you don't have a village of partners. So I think the right partnerships, the right level and, and modalities of engagement, it's, it's becoming more of that race toward that from what I'm seeing. And I think everything else is kind of just a, you know, a cost rate game. I mean, everything's kind of flattening out in that way, but the experience side, like that's what's really starting to be more of the, the next S curve here with how people approach this in a meaningful way, not just a ton of apps and stuff like that, but in a more personalized way. So how do you see the next couple of developments in technology making the experience of a patient, a homebound patient or uh, a, a, a somebody with modality issues, how do you see technology improving the quality of that person's day or week? And this is fun because this is what we talked about uh, before the, the podcast recording here, John Paul. Um, I find I find ICOM in particular really fascinating. And there's other, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of other players in the space, but ICOM in particular, when you're thinking about a population, 65 and older, maybe long-term disability uh, challenges as well. I think about, you know, in a few years, five years down the road-ish, we have about 90 million plus individuals, 65 and older in the U.S., you, you take a, a few percents of that. Who is having to care for these individuals in their own home? I, I have I have older in-laws, uh, in-law, and uh, not not knowing how she's doing living alone is really challenging. That creates not only an economic stress on family, a mental health stress on family, but also an economic effect on the local community. We have to depend on people that are five and a half hours away from us to check on my mother-in-law. This is a real, you know, real example. And this isn't like a you know weekly thing. This is a daily thing. Sometimes it's an hourly thing. Uh, she, she's recovered from several strokes. Uh, and, you know, that's a scary, that's a scary thing. So as uh, younger parents uh, and, and having an older parent that we have to take care of, the sandwich generation is real. Uh, and it, it creates a lot of challenges. But, but by having a technology to bridge not only communication, but mental health, uh, I'd say mental health solution for our sanity, like a, a press to talk type of technology like ICOM has, extremely helpful. I mean, this goes beyond just checking on someone. It gives you sanity. It gives you uh, uh, just a, a moment of calm, like everything's okay. It's also great in emergent urgent situations. So you think about the cost downstream if say my mother-in-law would fall, not be able to get up. Uh, it could be a long time if she doesn't have anything accessible to her to be able to communicate to somebody. And not only that, they're in rural America. They're in rural Pennsylvania. There aren't like, you know, hospitals around the corner. There aren't ambulances and fire trucks around the corner. It, it can take a long time to help somebody. So uh, just thinking about like downstream costs and healthcare utilization, like things can be offset with and not just with ICOM, but a lot of other players out there too that have voice enabled capabilities from like a hardware uh, device standpoint too. So uh, it's it's something critical, I think, for that particular population. I, it could apply to a lot of other populations, but learning about ICOM, I think immediately my 
family scenario. Um, so I think I think uh, you as an example, not to go to ICOM as a specific example, but I think it's a great one for technology being a part of you know bridging mental health, bridging healthcare utilization, communication, like everything has so many applications. And I think that's one of the big one of the big keystones for technology advancing and being adopted in a variety of different populations. And I think a lot about uh, Medicare Advantage health plans in the U.S. So there is something that was brought to market from CMS back in about 2019, 2018, saying that Medicare Advantage health plans could now offer what's called social determinants of health or SDOH based supplemental benefits, which is great. So you've seen a lot of health plans like Cigna, uh, United, I think even Aetna as well, have more of a robust offering. There are these additional benefit packages with a core healthcare coverage package being a Medicare Advantage beneficiary. And that could be transportation support, uh, food delivery, uh, medication access to in terms of being getting refills on time, appointment, calendar appointments for your next wellness checkups. All those kinds of things are great. They're soft plays. Where I think Medicare Advantage plans are going next is personalizing this more. So as Medicare Advantage plans and other large uh, health insurance carriers adopt non-clinical data to show what someone's challenged with, so you can think about it in this way, say United and Medicare Advantage plans, say they use non-clinical information to say, hey, how many types of phones does you know, my mother-in-law, Carol, how many types of phones does she have? Where does she live? Does she own a car? Uh, who's closest to kin that's alive? And then the whole support system, you'd have a view on. And then it could probably give the best indicator of, hey, this person could use a press to talk device, like an ICOM device that would enable her not only to have effective communication, but to potentially avoid drastic, tragic scenarios that affect the family and the local community as well, and also the healthcare system rendering services. So I think as Medicare Advantage plans specifically start to personalize these benefit packages, them using non-clinical information to identify who's the most applicable for these types of communication devices, they'll afford that to them because that upfront cost is an investment and potentially avoiding a lot of other challenging scenarios that have high costs associated with them. So I think it's a chain of events that will happen. I see MA plans, dual eligible populations, Medicaid, this being afforded to them in that type of way. I think that upfront investment just changes the whole, the whole experience and the whole cost track downstream. That's that's my utopic vision, though, Mark and John Paul. I'm hoping that happens because it's pretty obvious to me seeing it from this perspective, not running a health plan, but it's pretty obvious. Like that's how you personalize benefits to somebody. In preparing for our conversation today, I did speak with a few homebound uh, Medicaid patients uh, that I know. And one of the comparisons that was immediately brought forward was the comparison to those push to talk help I've I've fallen devices. And when, when, I, when I was looking for additional information about why one would be more helpful or less helpful to this community, the, the feedback I got was that there's a certain amount of fear and pride 
associated uh, yeah. with pressing that button and declaring an emergency. There's, it, it, there's, there's helplessness attached to that. And to have, like your words indicated, an ICOM device that simply puts you in touch with a friend or a family member a little further away than the next room gave the freedom, afforded the freedom of the, of the uh, person, the patient, to just check in, to ask innocuous questions, to become familiar enough with the device that just asking the, 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 the score of the last night's game was, was, yeah. was a comfort factor. And when they become, became comfortable with the concept of the device, they became happier using it, less afraid to be embarrassed by declaring an emergency uh, that, that this became an, an attractive option for them. Yeah. In your, now that I've painted that, that word picture for you, do you see in, in, in the cultures that you're studying, do you see that being a viable argument? I do. Actually, I see that as being a very uh, understandable use case to it. And I'll give you a couple examples of, of why I said that. So the first aid alert uh, necklaces that and wristbands, I believe, that are uh, have been traditionally in the market for those of fall risk for many decades. Uh, that is kind of an emergency white flag. I need help. There's no back and forth communication. There's no responsiveness. But if you have this type of device in your daily life as a user, it's adopted. It's a part of your routine. It's a part of your practice. It's not just for an emergent or urgent use. It's a part of how you can communicate. So when you need something, you could do it. When you want to say something, you could do it. And it's not just uh, a one-to-one. -one. I think it's one-to-many because that device can be used, say, on my end, talking to my, my children's grandparents they can communicate to grandma. So, you know, it's not just me. They can say something to engage her. And I think that's really important from a, a user acceptability, adoption, a comfort perspective. Like that type of design for a person is really important. I'm glad you shared that. And as a specific example, I've talked to some great folks with, uh, with My Place Health. Uh, they are accelerating the PACE model, PACE model being uh, uh, focusing on the elderly and frail populations in the U.S., trying to keep them living at home and independently as long as possible, uh, not only for their freedom and their wellness, but also for the family, uh, logistically, economically, how it helps offset a lot of things that uh, most, most you know, families aren't set up to handle, to take in loved ones, to live with them, or to afford private paid nursing facilities, which are outrageously expensive these days. So in uh, thinking about that type of PACE model, it's been around for a long time, like that type of technology helps people live independently longer and having a sense of freedom and autonomy. Like that, that's all we have in our a human condition that we know for the most part to be true is like we have the ability to do things at our own will for the most part, you know? So I think that's really important. And uh, if it's a simple technology like this, you know, why wouldn't that be integrated? into our healthcare ecosystem for the most appropriate populations. But yeah, I, a long way of saying, I couldn't agree more, it needs to be adopted in a more rapid fashion though. I, I think the value is there. I think it can be realized very quickly in terms of a business ROI, 
but it's just, it makes sense uh, to have this adoption now. So when we get to 90 million plus people that are 65 and older in a few years, you know, we're more set up <laughs> than rapidly trying to throw these things at people. It's, we're, we start now, we'll be better in the future. I, I think that uh, it's going to have to happen in stages. I think initially it's going to be neighbors looking out for neighbors, and then it'll become longer distance family members and friends checking in, being available, be on call, reminding somebody that their show, their stories come on at three o'clock or whatever it might be. Hey, mom, did you take your pills? And then it's going to grow into uh, the visiting nurse being available to listen to maybe 40 patients uh, in a week that they would normally go visit. They would also be available at the push of a button to, to communicate with that, those patients uh, in, a, in a more emergent situation or more pressing matters, uh, and then eventually channel it all the way up in direct pipeline into a health system uh, with an advocate listening and supporting. And then you know, in measured increments, working its way up to integrating the technology into home access uh, and, and patient access and monitoring and things. But, uh, yeah. but until then, I'm very grateful that your um, research is pointing uh, developers as well as adopters in this direction. And I am looking forward to our continued conversations and getting together and seeing what steps we can take, whether it's John Paul and Brian or uh, FinThrive and ICOM or uh, what other groups that we can put together over a cup of coffee and how we can bring uh, improvements to to the hopefully the the folks that before we get to 90 million the homebound the the yeah. independent living the the people who just need a friend and if we can continue to use quality of life as a guiding light I I, I don't think I don't think we could go wrong. Yeah, I agree. I think if we start there, then everything else takes care of itself. I really appreciate your time. Um, as you know, uh, you're going to be able to hear this podcast. Your friends are going to be able to hear it on uh, all the major uh, podcast uh, outlets. Um, ICOM America is also, you know, we've got a great website at ICOMAmerica.com and we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn and so many others. And when, when doing your research or working with those folks, make sure they, you know, can swing by and, uh, and I'd appreciate your support. I do appreciate your support and I look forward to a, a continued relationship. So thank you so much, Brian Urban, uh, from FinThrive to uh for having given us this time and and your your advice thank you likewise this has been fun thanks john paul thanks so much brian i appreciate it